become a patron of Entertainment Landfill. Go to patreon.com slash landfill for details. Entertainment Landfill is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Thank you. Hello everyone, we're back after a few weeks without a show. I know these past few weeks have been hard without ETL news. You need the film, television and pop culture news. You need a safe place to go to escape the horrors and the stupidity of the real world and stranger you have come to the right place. Sit back in the recliner. Put on the VR goggles and strap in because it's time to GTFO off this here planet. Television, pop culture. It's where you find it. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I am the Jaystrom. Hello, everyone. I am the Jaystrom. It's time for ETL News. I'm your host, the Jaystrom. Wait, I, I should start that over. It should be, hello, everyone. Welcome to ETL News. I am your host, the Jaystrom. That's the way it is. But you already know who I am. You've listened to the show before, right? I'm here to talk about film, television, and pop culture news. But I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to do it with Adam Sexton. And I need to call him right now on Skype. Let's see if this works. Hello, Adam. Are you there? Hello, Jaystrom. I am here. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. I can hear you loud and clear. Uh, Welcome to the show. It's time for some ETL news. Good to be back on the show. Thank you for having me, sir. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me. It would be a very lonely affair. Basically, the reason I don't want you to be lonely. <laughs> the reason we're doing this show now, Adam, is the last couple of Fridays I haven't been able to do a show, and then it turns out this Friday I again can't do a show. So I was like, "Oh my god, I got to do a show sometime during the week because I got to put some content out." You know, uh, last Friday my wife came in from Minnesota. She went there for a week. The week before, both Stephen and Bill were unavailable, so I was like, ah, screw this. Go, I'm not going to go back to doing solo shows, you know? That's no fun. So, uh, thank you for joining me. So, it's not a solo affair. I have Adam with me. Thank you so much. And it's Well, it kind of works out on uh, my end because I would have been unable to do it this Friday because, of course, 
the football team at the school I work just had to start their playoff uh, first playoff game. So uh, it works out for both of us. Well, I forget, like, in uh, high school, football season starts, does it start during the summer, like, before the school even starts, or what? No, it it starts at the beginning of the fall semester. Oh, okay. It just seems like uh, the season goes by really fast, doesn't it? It feels that way, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff has happened b- between the last show and now. And I'm talking about film, television, pop culture news. I'm not talking about real world stuff, you know. Who needs to talk about that? <laughs> although, although it's hard to deny the real world stuff. Yeah, but haven't we had enough of that at this point? Do you need a break from it, Adam, and just talk about stupid stuff? I do, I do, and and I'm assuming that uh, if we talk about the things we've watched, it will be hard to deny uh, either for you or me that maybe we chose to watch it just as kind of a respite from, I mean, sometimes we, we, we uh, either watch a movie or read something or play something just to retreat from reality. Uh, This past week I needed the the things I watched. I needed it just as like some kind of therapy of some sort. I mean, it was just that ridiculous. It's an escape and it, it, and it's always an escape in a way, you know, that's what they call, you know, entertainment's an escape, but sometimes you really need an escape. You need to get away. And luckily, you know, I was able to do that and I felt a lot better after a few days. The bad part is that I got sick, uh, all last week I, I was sick and it kind of, it just was like all mixed together. And so I'm glad that's over with and I can go back to normal now, <laughs> you know, just get that shitty right. week over with. And now we're uh, to this week uh, and everything seems to go, be going a little bit better, you know, one day at a time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One day at a time. There were a quite a, f- there were, I'm going to say three big trailers that came out. Uh, one of them that was uh ghost in the shell. Uh, I have heard of the anime, of course. I've never actually watched it, but the, hmm. the movie is starring Scarlett Johansson. Did you watch the trailer? I've seen parts of the trailer, but I'm very familiar not only with the uh, anime, but also the manga that it's based on. Oh, really? So are you excited about the film? Um, I, I, I'm, not as, I'm not one of these people who freak out about the whole whitewashing role controversy of casting ScarJo as uh, an Asian person. Right. Because I'm, I, I'm very well aware. I mean, sometimes these movies get made if you put certain star power. Take, for example, the, the, the movie The Great Wall with Matt Damon being involved in some kind of uh, fictional take involving yeah. the Great Wall of China and how people are freaking out about it. Uh, but I, 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 I'm just too used to the reality. I, yes, there, there is, there are moments when you kind of wish that they were able to cast, uh, race appropriate actors. I mean, and there, and there's plenty of, there's plenty of good ones. There, there's plenty of great actors, no matter where they come from, but also the, the reality, the horrible realities of, film financing kind of requires this to happen. So in, in, in some, in some, in most cases I can get by with it. And in, in some cases that's just, 
I, I mean, just vote with your money. I mean, you don't have to watch it, but you also don't have to kick up a storm and accuse and, you know, and have that knee jerk reaction where you're accusing like film producers of bigotry or something that, that that's just the reality. I think some people tend to forget. Yeah. So, um, I, I, and Scar, and Scar I keep saying Scar Joe, <laughs> Scar Joe Hansen has acquired enough star power and, uh, proven herself as an actress that I believe that she can take on the role that, that this, uh, that this movie is is uh that, that this movie is requiring of her based on my familiarity with the anime and the graphic novel and I hope and I don't know too much about it and I hope it were it looks good the only thing I've seen of it there was this gif of the of the uh the sequence and I'm guessing this is in the trailer where she uses this invisa suit of some sort and and it just look and it just looked really uh spectacular but i need i need to watch it clearly yeah the so, visuals um, do look amazing i kind of rolled my eyes at the uh cover of enjoy the silence by depeche mode it was like what's like violence and i was like oh no you know how they <laughs> they'll like take a song and do a cover but it's like some woman singing it you know singing cold play or some other shit over a trailer and i'm just like stop oh, with no. this what why is this a thing i don't understand and movie trailers why they do this at first i was like yeah, what I, is I i recognized it as depeche mode right away i was like what what is that is that strange love or something and then i was like oh wait it's enjoy the silence and i was like oh come on but uh i guess that could they not enjoy the original the the original song I mean, yeah. can they not uh, afford the original song? I mean, but for the trailer, you need a woman singing, uh, you know, words like violence, and then <laughs> break the silence. <laughs> you know, like uh, that. It's got to be like that. I was just like, oh, shut up, trailers. Get a, get a, just, ah, uh, just stop. And you know, that's just my reaction <laughs> to that. But the, you know, it looks uh, pretty cool and stuff. You know, looks like an anime, Good. live action anime. So there you go. And uh, then there was the trailer to Beauty and the Beast. Did you watch that? I have not. Uh, this is this is how. Uh, far behind I am. I, I know <laughs> people involved in the casting, uh, and I've seen photos of fo screen caps of the trailer. But uh, yeah, it, the last couple of nights have been ridiculously ridiculously busy. I've I've seen links to click on it, but yeah, I need I need to catch up on that. But I'm I'm interested because Disney is knocking it out of the park with their live action remake. So uh Yeah, I never saw so, the Cinderella yeah. one. I know my wife and daughter love that. I did see the Jungle Book and I thought that was really good. Uh um, Yeah. I never saw Maleficent. But this does it looks exactly like the cartoon in live action form, so I don't know what more people want from it. I mean, it looks like it'll probably be successful. Ma Maleficent feels like just a different take on. I, I, it, it's not Sleeping Beauty word for it's told. For, it, it, it it's kind of like a prequel of some sorts. Yeah, Does that uh, but I, lo I loved I loved Cinderella, and mostly because I'm a big Kenneth Branagh fan, and he's the one who directed it. Jungle Book was freaking fantastic, and I missed out to see. Pete's Dragon, which I'm told is a serious, oh, I know, Me serious too. improvement over the original. 
Yeah, I still want to see that. Yeah, that's a bummer that I missed that. Now, should I not really place Maleficent in with those other ones? It's just, it's not an adaptation of Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, it, it, it came out, I think it came out earlier before, you know, Cinderella and all these remakes. It, it I think it does stand out because it's not, it's not telling Sleeping Beauty's story, you know, uh, you know, a little bit closer to what the animated film was. So I think Maleficent does stand, does stand apart from these, uh, recent films. Okay. So now here's a trailer that I know you probably most likely watched. You had to have seen this one and it's from the, this is what the trailer says. The visionary director of the fifth element, Valerian and the city of a thousand planets. Yes. With the uh, Beatles music in it, by the way. I was like, okay, first of all, fan of Fifth Element. Watch it whenever it's on. Very flawed (laughs) film, right? Yeah. Entertaining film. Goofy is all get out. You know, just very French. Yeah, very French. uh, Just uh, visually (laughs) stunning at times. Now, when I watch this trailer, yes, it's very striking visuals, etc. the two stars look dull as cardboard. You have to admit that, right? Dane DeHaan and the girl, uh, I forget the actress's name. The, it's like Cara Develine or... Yeah, Cara, Cara Delavigny or whatever. She's, uh, you know, she's a mom. Not, not, not going to work here anymore. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love that. Uh, she was, of course, in Suicide Squad. So the film, the film's visuals look incredible. Like I said, the two stars look like they are sleepwalking through the movie. I don't know. I can't tell if this is going to be a good movie, but it looks goofy as hell, just like The Fifth Element. So it could be a lot of fun, right? Well, I yeah, I, and I listened. Uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast Happy, Sad, Confused, which uh is kind of is part of the uh, mt is part of mtv but it used to be part of like earwolf and uh the host of that recently interviewed luke Besson, and they talked about his entire career it was like a 30 or 40 minute so interview and they talked about his entire career and they also talked about this new movie of his and he's really excited about it he's got like cameron He's got sequels in mind, but this feels like a more to him. It feels like a more fleshed out kind of universe. It's it's based on source material right. rather than an idea that's been circulating in his mind since he was a teenager. And he's I, I think Basson's very well aware of the shortcomings of Fifth Element. Uh, but like you, when I s- first saw the Fifth Element, thinking I was like, "Well, I I love this. This is clearly eye candy. Don't know what the hell's going on, but I'll definitely go see it." And uh, with uh, what is it Valerian? Is that is that the short? Yeah, is that Valerian. the yeah? I can just call it Valerian. Um, as far as the actors go, uh, Dane DeHaan he's he's been really good in some movies uh, like Chronicle. In uh, I thought he was pretty decent in the movie Lawless. Uh, he was not very good in Amazing Spider-Man Two, but I I think that was just. Uh, not part of that movie just being a shit show in in, uh, in other areas, but uh, I, I've got my hopes up for this because we need some we, we need some kind of uh, we need a French sci-fi epic 
and, and not have everything be dependent upon yeah uh, I, upon comic books uh, comic books stuff. Even though I've been enjoying all of it, I, I, I we need as much variety as we possibly can. So I agree. Let's let's bring it on. I did laugh at the visionary director part. <laughs> Hey, he's a visionary. What's up with you? Sure, sure. Yes, he's uh, very visual. I'm doing my best Bill impression right now. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're making up for his absence. That's that's noble of you. <laughs> very noble of me. And of course, you know, we have Leon the Professional. That's another one of Luke Besson's films. There. That my my problem. I have a problem with Luke Besson, where I think all of his films fall short of being great. I don't. I don't think any of them have been great that i've seen uh, you know i haven't seen all of his work so i can't say that about everything but have you seen la femme nikita no i you know that it's, would, it's sad that, that I would be my it. vote for his his best one of his better efforts yeah uh would it i probably count against me if i said i have seen the bridget fonda remake though <laughs> Not the same thing. Not, not the, the same it's a valiant thing. effort. It is not the same thing. Yeah, I know that already. I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> but I did. One thing that was curious about it. Did you think, wow, how did they use Beatles music in a movie trailer? Has that ever been done before? Because the music um, is very striking. Nothing with comes the to mind, really. Well, I actually found this story. It's called What? This is on Cinema Blend. Which I'm not even okay. sure is a real site if they just take stories from other sites. But <laughs> this uh, story is why Paul McCartney let Valerian use a Beatles song in the trailer. In addition <laughs> to featuring some insanely cool sci-fi visuals, one of the best, best things about the brand new trailer for Luc Besson's Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets is the music. Believe it or not, the previous use of Because by the Beatles is the first time that a master recording from a band has been featured in a film advertisement from the band. <laughs> because of this, you'd think that it would have been particularly a tricky process to acquire the rights to the music. But the simple reason it worked out was because Paul McCartney apparently digs the writer-director's work and wanted to contribute to a fresh artistic venue. And nice. uh, I just learned a story behind the song choice in the trailer when I had the pleasure of sitting down with Luke Besson. This is the writer of the story, not me. After having the chance to screen the teaser, I asked Besson about the process of getting the rights to the Beatles track. And he noted that it actually wasn't very hard. He said, I just asked. We reached out to Paul McCartney and he said, what is the film? And then he said, yes. And I've never met him. I wish I could to thank him. From what I heard, he's seen a couple of my films. And because he's from the UK and I'm from France, we're both from Europe. So maybe a little bit closer. Uh, okay. Not only does the use of Because by the Beatles lend the trailer for Valerian a distinct Guardians of the Galaxy feeling. That's what he says. Uh, mm -hmm. It's also just a perfect background for f the footage being uh, presented. Not only are the lyrics quite fitting, the line, it blows my mind, being relevant, but just its soft tone helps accentuate the weirdness and epicness of everything that's going on in the teaser. I'd say, I'd say that's true. The music does work well with the trailer. Me too. And that's cool of Paul McCartney to give him permission to do that. Don't you think? 
I do, and I, that probably plays into uh, you know some some musical artists being unwilling to let people use their music, like Led Zeppelin, for the longest time, yeah. and maybe even still so to a certain point won't let people watch a, then you use the use the music for either for for not the for the movie. Not I mean, let alone the trailer. Right, and then you see a Destiny commercial where uh, Led Zeppelin's like, "Yeah, sure." You know, give me millions of dollars. <laughs> you got it. Go ahead. Yeah, well, it it, it kind of, it, I mean, that. Uh, thank God that Cameron Crowe did all the, uh, did all the uh, tr- the uh, the trench work. He spent his time in the trenches trying to get Led Zeppelin music in his in his movie, so that others could probably uh, f- uh, find it easier so- years down the road. Yeah, all the way back to uh, Fast Times. There's uh, Led yeah. Zeppelin in there, and then I can think of. Uh, Almost famous. There's a track in there, mm-hmm. and uh, Sucker Punch used uh, when the levee breaks in their trailer. Oh yeah, yes, yes, yes. What a trailer that was! It was like, oh. Yep. <laughs> I've never asked you how you felt about Sucker Punch. I need to watch. I feel I need to watch it again, and I feel I need to watch the the R-rated extended cut because I've only yeah. seen the theatrical cut just once, and there are things about that movie that I that I like that I'm intrigued by, but ultimately I think it it fails to stick the landing because, um, uh, it, it, I'll just put it this way: certain films like Brazil or Pan's Labyrinth, where you've got a character that uses fantasy to cope with reality. They're very clear about how those characters, who those characters are and how the fantasy is incorporated into their real life. Uh, and I think that Snyder's the, the, the Snyder wrote the, the character of baby doll, the Emily Browning character. She's not very well defined. So I can't really figure out why she would be dreaming of big samurais, big samurai monsters or robots with Gatling guns and World War One uh, monsters made out of steam. I, I'm trying to figure out exactly why that character would be thinking of those things in order to to uh, cope with you know being stuck in an insane asylum. The, the, the visual stuff, the action stuff is all great. Yeah, but I, I I can see what he's trying to do. I just don't think it completely lands. So it it may be just an interesting misfire. But I uh, like again, I need to watch it again to figure out. Yeah, where that I was stand definitely one of those. What the hell did I just watch? Movies, and <laughs> then later you can watch a YouTube video of someone to explain to you. Here's what the movie was about, and uh, why didn't you get it or something? I was like, well, I guess I'm stupid. Uh, I think it could have been told in a better way to get the point across it was trying to make. But, you know, again, it has wonderful, cool action sequences, but also the movie is just a big mess, I think. It's got yeah, some stuff it, going it, for it, but it's a... It's a, it, it's, it's, a gr- it's a great, ambitious move. I mean, uh, it, it takes serious balls for someone to gain the clout and the money that he can to just make whatever he wants after he delivers two big monster hits for movie studios. And he does it with this movie that wants to kind of rub in the face of the audience, you know, fascization of women 
in uh, pop culture or right. certain certain genre trappings, and it, it, the the movie kind of wants you to have fun, but then it kind of wants you uh, slap you right in the face for having for having enjoyed it. So it's it's kind of a it was a weird experiment. Yeah, well, Zack Snyder will always be divisive, and at the same time, people yep. hate him, but they'll keep going to see the movies, you know, and then bitching about it afterwards. Hey, his movies make money, so, you know, tough. Right. Here's something that I was I didn't even know about. I Well, I knew they were making a Last of Us movie, but I read this headline. Last of Us movie is at a standstill due to a disagreement between Naughty Dog and Sony. It looks like the Uncharted film is finally moving forward. Yeah, right. After eight years of internal drama surrounding yeah. the project, but Naughty Dog and Sony... Their next big screen adaptation, The Last of Us, is at a standstill. And this I didn't know. How did I miss this news? Director Sam Raimi told IGN that while he couldn't get into much detail, he was attached to the the project, but neither Naughty Dog or Sony were willing to do anything to move forward. Raimi confessed that Naughty Dog creator Neil Druckmann had some kind of disagreement with the film. Right now, it's just sitting there, Raimi said. They don't want to move forward, and it's not my place to say why. And Neil, I think, is in a slight disagreement with them about how things should go. So there's a standstill, and I don't have the power to move it. Okay, this doesn't sound good, does it? (laughs) Sony subsidiary company Screen Gems announced in 2014 that it was adapting the game with Druckmann on board to write the script. Since the film was announced, there haven't been any prog... There hasn't been... Any progress on pre-production or casting. The film doesn't have any actors attached to it at this time. It's unclear when or if The Last of Us movie will move forward, but for now, Naughty Dog fans can at least look forward to the Uncharted film. Again! No, they can't! It's not going to happen! From director Sean Levy and writer Joe Carnahan. It looks like that will begin next year. It's not going to be made. Just stop. But I had no idea that Sam Raimi was attached to direct The Last of Us. All I say is this. Just stop. Don't make the movie. It's going to be nowhere near as good as the masterpiece of video game. Do you agree? I agree in the case of Last of Us. I was more hopeful with Uncharted when Joe Carnahan was both directing as well as writing. But when you hire the guy who made the Night Night in the Museum movies or whatever the hell those yeah. POSs are called my my uh interest level kind of wanes. Yeah, Sean so Levy now is... it, it it tells you a lot that uh that I, I you know and I love Joe Carnahan and I've got I've actually got some weird hopes for his Bad Boys 3 <laughs> movie coming up. But I was really but Carnahan is on record by saying Raiders of the Lost Ark is the movie that helped him become a filmmaker, and he's been wanting to do something like that, you know, his whole yeah. since his whole career started. I, I really, he, when he says that he really could have made it work with him both directing, I actually, I absolutely believe him because he's that passionate kind of guy. So uh, I'm, I'm, I, I want it to work, and maybe you know, Sean Levy will actually, you know grow as a filmmaker despite the fact that he's made mostly claptrap uh in terms of movies so yeah, we'll, we'll say, see sean levy's hot right now because he directed 
episodes of Stranger Things that the Duffer Brothers True. didn't direct. So Duffer Brothers directed many episodes of Stranger Things, but the ones they didn't, Sean Levy directed. So right now he's hot. You know, he could have Stranger yeah, I'll give Things him in his that. credit. Yeah, I don't. Know. Only I'm not looking forward to an Uncharted movie at all. Basically, okay. Yeah, and 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 Last of Us, I think is I I don't know. I I maybe that feels more of a like a personal like a movie like a game story that hits you far more personally. Yeah, and I just I just don't see what they could do with it. I think there's wiggle room for Uncharted. I I really do, but Last of Us just feels like. It, it's too tied to the medium in which it was introduced. So whatever they do with it, if they ever do anything with it, it it just won't be the same. Yeah. Now let's switch to some video game news. All right. Yeah. EA is bringing one of our bigger games in quotes to Nintendo switch. That's right. Uh, EA is looking to launch one or two games for Nintendo Switch, and it sounds like they'll be from the familiar franchises that we're all aware of EA uh, carrying. GameSpot reports that EA CFO Blake Jorgensen mentioned, I just pronounced these names, however, <laughs> one of those games will be a notable port from the company while speaking at the UBS Global Technology Conference. We haven't yet, yet announced what game but you should assume that it's one of our bigger games. We're excited for Nintendo. Just tell us what the freaking game is! But Jorgensen is still cautious about Nintendo's Switch appeal. It's an interesting device, but I can't yet predict how broad it's going to be. Will people be interested in a portable device alongside the regular portable device that they have today? I don't think yep. so. I mean, you'll have. <laughs> don't you think once you have the Switch, you'll ditch your 3DS? I would hope that Nintendo wants you to do that, too. But EA hasn't released a Wii U game in years, and the company's 3DS support seemingly ended with FIFA. EA was unveiled as a Nintendo Switch partner last month and congratulated the big N on the console reveal, and the publisher has a plethora of games and franchises that could come to Switch, like Battlefield, Mass Effect, and Madden. I'm thinking, are they talking about Battlefield here? What do you think? I it's it's hard to tell. Um, I'm trying to figure out. I mean, if, if they're keeping it a secret, you would assume it would be one of their bigger oh, marquee titles Madden or something. That you can play on the go with friends or something. Because remember, in the the Switch trailer, it had them playing basketball. So maybe it's a big sports game or something. But there was also that story. Possibly. Know, did you see that story about uh, the price leaked? overseas and so no. people were estimating uh that here it would be about 249 dollars wow on the price that leaked that low <laughs> that would be I, I was thinking more like 300 but 300 yeah, at the very I, least i honestly i honestly believe there will be multiple packages because Maybe it'll be 249 just the tablet part with the game controllers. But if you want that hub to connect to your TV, you're going to need to show out 300 bucks or something like that. That would suck, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would think 300, definitely 350 
300 at, at you know at best possible scenario in terms of availability. I think that would be overpriced but, I mean, because if you uh, you base it on the fact of how the price of a PS4 in an Xbox One, which are most likely more powerful, you might feel a little ripped off. Like, why am I paying for this little thing for this price? You know. I think it needs to be about 250 bucks, and you just make more money off the peripherals you can sell with it. Well, you're you're also paying you also paying it for because it's it's a Nintendo product, right? And, and Nintendo has long since not felt like it needed to compete with the uh, with uh, the other consoles with the with the other. Uh, with the with the other uh, consoles in terms of power, I mean they're they're trying to catch up because after the lackluster performance of Wii U and switches a step in the right direction, I think, and it looks like you'll have some decent third party support. But people buying Nintendo these days kind of understand that they're getting a different experience than from what Sony and Microsoft are offering, and right. that's kind of the selling point. Yeah, I just want to buy it for my daughter, but it not be too expensive. Because I will play uh, yeah. the new Zelda game when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's that Zelda game just looks, looks so awesome. freaking good. Yeah. Okay, next story. And- the Game Awards are coming up here, Adam. Mm-hmm. And they will deliver more gameplay and less CGI thanks to No Man's Sky. This coming to us from Polygon. This year's Game Awards show will feature more substance and less sizzle, thanks in part to lessons learned from the bombastic lead-up to No Man's Sky and the game's comparatively disappointing delivery, said host of the annual award show, Jeff Keighley. I have thought about the story of No Man's Sky a lot, Keighley told Polygon in a recent interview. Did we create this black hole of hype that the developers couldn't pull themselves out of? Some of that was authored by me. There's a good moral to that story, and it's part of what I'm trying to address this year, to have developers be more transparent about the state of their game. The Game Awards will stream live from the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles on December 1st to celebrate the best games of 2016. While the event isn't aired on television, it will be streamed live on a variety of services, including Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, and YouTube. It will also be streamed in VR for the first time, available to be watched live in China. The show was created by Keeley in 2014 as he stopped hosting the Spikes TV VGX Awards. No Man's Sky was announced during the final VGX show in 2013, and the first video for the game was premiered during the Game Awards inaugural show. Since the game's release, Keeley has been vocal about his concerns with the game prior to its release and how he feels it didn't live up to expectations. I agree with the feedback and told that to Sean Murray, the developer. That game, uh, that game, when it was announced, everyone in their mind's eye came up with an idealized notion of what it was going to be. I knew the team, and it was eighty. Gu- it was eight guys. Sorry, I almost said eighty guys. It was only eight guys. The vision was never going to be achieved. Keeley says the problems that arise from showing something early isn't just an issue that video game developers struggle with. The nature of showing anything advanced is challenging, and it's a game of expectations. When Warner Brothers showed the first Suicide Squad, everyone went crazy, and the movie ended up being kind of not that great. This year's Game Awards show will focus on presentations that will provide a little more context about what's there. 
Some of the games will be presented in an almost let's play format. You know, that's where they just show them playing it with people playing a game for five minutes or so and showing off what's there. We're going to have more diving deeper into the games and gameplay. We're going to get deeper look at the premieres. They'll run for four or five minutes. I think people will be surprised at the depth of some of the game content we'll show this year. Now, um, I, you know, I feel really bad about No Man's Sky because basically, you know, I always get sick of people saying, oh, it was overhyped, overhyped, uh, that game really was overhyped to the point where people's idealized notions of what the game was going to be just destroyed what the game actually was, where they weren't going to be happy no matter what, I think. You know? Well, it, it had a really shaky uh, period of where it was just being shown at, like, uh, video, like, e, like E3s or playstation experiences or like the game awards without a whole lot of without i mean they would show you vistas and they would show you you would do this and do that but very little behind that and like you said it was an eight-man team they were probably struggling with crunch time on that game and uh it's one of those reasons uh, i mean we're, we're i listen to a lot of game podcasts and there's a sentiment that pops up a lot which is because because a game's marketing campaign can conflict with the product that ultimately that sometimes comes out pre-ordering games is just never really a good idea you really need to wait and see until the final product comes out and right. see what other people think about it before you can make uh, a decision yourself because uh, my understanding was no no man's sky did decent with on pre-orders so I, 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 and I, I understand where Keeley's coming from. And yes, we're kind of to some degree sick of mostly CGI trailers where it's, but, but I also think that CGI trailers can be good in terms of setting up the tone of the, of the, uh, of the game. Now for, in another example, Last Guardian's finally about to come out. And that's a game that's been in development hell for like a decade. And we've seen mostly trailers that set up like cinematic mood or whatever. Yeah. But we're halt. But myself included, we're hoping that it actually t- ends up being a good movie, uh, a good movie, a good game, something worthy to stand as- alongside Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, Most likely too. it probably won't. But I mean, just let it be a decent a competent game, which is kind of feels underwhelming for a game that's been in development for as long as it has and has had the level of hype it has. And so I understand where Keeley's coming through on this issue. I, I think for the sake of the people who've been working on that game for so long, please let it be good. Don't it? Don't let it seem like, like, oh my god, we wasted our lives working on this damn game. <laughs> it's just, and that's of... also attached to Final Fantasy 15, which has also been in development for so long so so yeah this is the it's not a widespread problem but it's attached to these certain games because of their pedigree of the people making them or the or the franchises that they belong to so so yeah it's it's not only something that pertains to the game award show but also to other outlets where you know marketing campaign stuff can be uh displayed so yeah it's 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 definitely a touchy issue 
Yeah, Jeff Keighley also, he uh, hosts a show on the Game Slice uh, channel on YouTube. It's like a live YouTube game show that comes on every week, and that's pretty fun. I've sat and watched it a couple times. And it's pretty cool. Good production values and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I think as long as the trailer is good and it gets you excited, then that's good. But I think the thing with, uh, you know, one last thing about No Man's Sky, that first reveal trailer, you know, I went back and watched it when the game came out to see what people were complaining about. And, yes, there's a lot in that trailer that's just not in the game that never made it into the game. And it's kind of like, Oh yeah, that does look bad or whatever. So I would like to see more of just the finished game. I don't need to see your concept of what the game might be. And then it doesn't make it. That's, but it's different. Also, there's so many times you and I will watch a trailer, you know, that comes out and it's, of a game that we're already familiar with in some way. The No Man's Sky was like this new thing that we just weren't sure what it was ever. So I, I think it's just a special, a special unique thing that right. doesn't exactly spread out to every other game trailer that's out there. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. Here's a recent story. Paramount plots edgy, new Green Hornet movie with the director of The Accountant. I don't know if you ever saw The Accountant with Ben Affleck. Did you, Adam? I have not. Uh, I have not. I, I, I kind of want to because uh, I've been I've read and, and you've told me yourself that it's it's some decent, decent kind of like it, it's a decent escapist film. Yeah, but it's it's it's, it's very little more than that. Exactly. It's Jason Bourne with Asperger's, basically. <laughs> so you'd be forgiven for already forgetting the Green Hornet movie from 2011. It's hard to blame director Michael Gondry and star Seth Rogen for the underwhelming revival of the classic classic hero, as neither were well-equipped to handle the pressures of making a big-budget studio film at the time. But it looks like the Green Hornet is getting another chance, this time with director Gavin O'Connor. And words like edgy and badass being tossed around. All right, I'm out already. (laughs) Deadline reports that Paramount has acquired the rights to the Green Hornet, setting O'Connor to helm the new movie based on the classic television series. The original show starred Van Williams and Bruce Lee. Yeah, we already know all this. Blah, blah, blah. I'm beyond excited to bring the Green Hornet into the 21st century in a meaningful and relevant way, modernizing it and making it accessible to a whole new generation. My intention is to bring a gravitas to the Green Hornet that wipes away the camp and kitsch of the previous iteration. I, um, let's see what else he's, uh, iteration. I want to re-mythologize the Green Hornet in a contemporary context with an emphasis on story and character. Oh, well, thank you, Gavin O'Connor. Isn't that wonderful? He's going to do that for us? Noble effort. Yeah. What a guy. What a humanitarian. He's going to do that. I'm so happy. Hey, and I like O'Connor's stuff. He He's... He, I mean, he's done great stuff like Miracle and Warrior, and he also helped create the show The Americans, oh, which is no. one of the best TV shows around. So I loved, um, absolutely loved uh, Warrior. Yeah, didn't didn't he also do Mystery Alaska? 
Uh, I don't think so. I'm not going to say who I think it is. I almost said Sean Levy directed that. <laughs> Let's see. Who directed Mystery Alaska? Jay Roach directed that. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I think I was getting Gavin O'Connor confused with the guy who did uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Oh. That is uh, Gavin, Gavin Hood. Hood. Gavin Hood. Okay. So that's a really bad uh, mix-up there, Jason, because it's not the guy <laughs> who did Ender's Game and uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Okay, so there you go. So anyway, that might be cool. You never know. But uh, Green Hornet, I've just that's he's not on my radar, so I'm not excited about that at all. I don't know about you. Okay, uh, Adam, did you enjoy Stranger Things? Did you dig it? I loved it. Well, there's some news about the second season, and here it is. Goonies actor joins Stranger Things. I think it's so funny. Sean Astin sees this headline. He's just like, oh, come on, guys. I've been in other things. What about Lord of the Rings? But still, it says Goonie actor. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to tie... Uh, oh God, period you, appropriate work that he's done to oh my God, Stranger I hate, Things. Remember when Stranger Things came out? It was like, watch this video. It shows you all of the movies that they got their uh, inspiration from. And then they would show like them riding on a bike in Stranger Things. And look, they're riding on bikes and Goonies. It's the same thing. Do you see what we're doing here? And that video annoyed the shit out of me because it's like... <laughs> cliff's notes for someone who doesn't know those movies or something it's just annoying and i kept seeing people share it on facebook and i was like stop sharing this it's annoying it's somebody doing the work for you i don't need some asshole to tell me oh look do you see what this is from it's like so have you ever had a friend sitting on a couch with you while you watch a movie and he goes Hey, you know what kind of gun that is? That's a HK so-and-so. It holds like 30 rounds or something. It's like, I don't care. I don't give a (laughs) shit what you're telling me. Or they're an expert about something you're watching and they tell you. It's the same thing. It's like, hey, know-it-all. I'm not impressed. So anyway, my rant is over there. But Sean Astin, most notable for his role as Sam Gamgee in The Lord of the Rings, has joined Netflix's 80s-inspired horror series, Stranger Things. Really? Aston, who also starred in the classic 80s film Goonies. Oh, really? He was in that? We'll play Bob Newby. I don't want to know who he is. Spoiler alert. All right. Since high school. Okay. I don't want to know. Spoiler alert. The casting makes perfect sense for the show. Aston built his career in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, because he was alive and working. Stupid story. (laughs) Kiss my ass. I don't want to read any more of this. Do you mind if I don't? Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> All right, here's another story, Adam. Get excited. Marvel's Inhumans. Remember that was going to be a movie coming straight to theaters? And it was like, whoa, what's this? Is now an ABC TV series, but with a fall premiere in IMAX. Okay, what does all this mean? I'm confused. Well, this is certainly unexpected. Marvel's Inhumans has bounced around theatrical release dates enough that many wondered if Marvel might not make the film at all. And now the project appears to have undergone a TV genesis. Yes, Marvel's Inhumans is now an ABC TV series premiering in 2017 in the fall, debuting its first two episodes in IMAX theaters. This sounds so weird. Word is still breaking... Though it appears, Marvel now confirms that the first two episodes of The Inhumans 
will be filmed entirely with IMAX digital cameras. It will run exclusively in IMAX for two weeks. The eight-episode series focused on Black Bolt and the royal family will then debut weekly on ABC with additional exclusive content that can only be seen on the network. Intriguingly, The Hollywood Reporter notes that the series wouldn't necessarily replace a film in Marvel's lineup, nor will Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. introduce the characters for the spinoff. For the moment, it remains unclear what this means for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. overall, which first introduced the MCU's concept of Inhumans, wasn't expected to interact with the film. While Disney Media co-chairman Ben Sherwood said, This unprecedented alliance represents a bold, innovative approach to launching great TV content for a worldwide audience. It's, it highlights D Disney and ABC's unrelenting commitment to finding new and creative ways to showcasing our very best programming and increasing global engagement and reach. Okay, whatever. Blowing smoke up our asses, Disney. So what do you think about this? idea of basically launching a TV show in IMAX theaters first. Considering I don't live anywhere near an IMAX theater, I'm not sure it has much effect on me at all. But I mean, it's a TV show in IMAX. I, then when you watch the next episode and it's on your TV, isn't like, wow, the scope really kind of went downhill. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not particularly. No, this is just. I mean, even if they, even if they wanted to put it in just all theaters, I, I, I still don't know if, um, if I'd be jazzed about it because, uh, it's is it a little bit more tied with the Agents of Shield show? Is that what they're saying? Well, they introduced the concept of Inhumans on the show, so viewers of that okay. show know what Inhumans are. They're basically half humans, half aliens who manifest powers. It's basically Marvel's answer to the X-Men because they don't have the X-Men anymore because Fox has them. So they can introduce right. humans who have powers and, you know, not everybody has to be dropped into a vat of chemicals or bit by a radioactive spider. They're just born that way and it manifests in them just like mutants. So it's their way of doing the X-Men without having the X-Men in a way, even though the humans did exist in Marvel comics, they didn't just create it for the TV show. It's just a strange idea. Right. I'd say turn it into a TV show, the Inhumans TV show. I don't know why the IMAX thing has to be a part of it. I'm not sure. I mean, it would have to be gorgeous visuals, something to get me intrigued to be like, okay, I'm going to go to the theater to see these first two episodes, even though I can watch it on TV in a couple of weeks. You know what I mean? Right. It's a marketing thing, but I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It's a, it's a marketing thing, and I, as someone who still hasn't watched an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. yet, I just, as for myself, I'm not sure I care one way or another unless, of course, I actually start watching that show. Yeah, I, I, I'm an avid watcher of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm all caught up. I always watch it <coughs> the day after it airs, so I've, I've kept up with it since it's been on, since it started, and I, I enjoy the show. And this season they have Ghost Rider. And I was like, oh my god, how is this going to work? But for some reason it's working. I don't know how, but the Ghost Rider seems cool on the show. I like it. He's not pissing fire or anything? No. He's, he, is, <laughs> uh, he is killing people with fire. Okay. 
And they're they're having fun with it. Like when he picks up a chain and it ignites and he's like, Oh hey, I kinda like this. I think I'll keep using this flaming chain thing. Remember how earlier I talked about the Beauty and the Beast trailer? Well, for some reason yeah. it's become a new thing where people uh see how many people have watched it on YouTube. Beauty and the Beast trailer crushes previous viewing records. When the first trailer for Disney's upcoming live-action adaptation, Beauty and the Beast, arrived earlier this week, it felt as if the entire world took a few minutes to watch it, except for Adam Sexton. And while that may not be the case, a sizable portion of the population did tune in to catch their first glimpse of this version of Belle and the Beast. According to Disney... Who wrote this? Was this Entertainment Weekly decided to take a dig at me? <laughs> this is comic book resources. <laughs> oh, those sons of bitches. I want to get them. According to Disney, the trailer totaled 127.6 million views in its first 24 hours online, easily breaking the record of 114 million set by the trailer for 50 shades darker in September. Why? <laughs> why who cares? It's views on yeah. YouTube. I don't understand. Oh, there was an auto video starting to play. Did you hear that? Hey, I don't want you to play. Uh, if I scroll down too much, it starts playing. Oh, I hate <laughs> that on websites. Uh, so anyway, that's a dumb story. But by the way, when they People show the give next- a shit about Fifty Shades Darker, really? I know. I don't understand. Uh, do you know who um, Mark Hamill is, Adam? I'm testing your geek cred right there. Oh, I, I, I want to say yes. I, but I can't <laughs> quite can't quite put it. It's on the tip of my tongue. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up. Oh, the all right, enough of the, enough of the trades. Yes, I know who the hell Mark Hamill is. Well, Mark Hamill launches online series dishes about toy collection. Okay, are they going to tell us who Mark Hamill is in this story and insult our intelligence? I'm asking you this yes. before I start reading. Okay, Mark Hamill is a fairly busy guy. But that doesn't stop him from pursuing every single one of his passions. Okay, so far so good. They didn't tell us who he is. They just assume. From reprising his legendary role as Luke Skywalker in the latest Star Wars film. Aw, damn it! You failed! (laughs) (laughs) To continuing to to lend his voice to DC Entertainment as the infamous Joker, Hamill is no stranger to keeping busy. Recently, however, he launched a new online series, Mark Hamill's Pop Culture Quest. To highlight one of his true passions, toy collecting. Speaking to IGN in an interview to promote the series, Hamill discussed a ton of things, but also revealed what drove him to begin his own toy collection. Sorry. According to Hamill, his family moved around a lot, and he would often find that his mother had given away his toys when they got a new home. I'd say, where's my Beanie and Cecil talking hand puppet? And she'd say, oh, I gave it to Goodwill. I said, why? And she said, because, come on, you're 11 years old. That's a baby toy. Think of all the poor starving children in China that will appreciate a talking Cecil the Seasick Sea Serpent puppet, said Hamill. It made no sense, of course. Basically, when I struck out on my own, I started seeing things that I had when I was a kid, and I wanted it back. After growing up a bit, Hamill started tracking down what he had lost and his first dive into collecting started with some classic Beatles gear. The first big jump into collecting that I did, in fact, was just around the receipt for all of the items that I bought. 
it was $124, and it was like 11 Beatles items. The Yellow Submarine lunchbox. There weren't any thermoses, but still, I got the Bobbing Head dolls. Any, <laughs> any one of these items is now more than $124. This was back in 1970 when they broke up. I only collected their music. I never collected... Wow, he's really going on a tangent here, isn't he? He means business, no mess. So anyway, um, Mark Hamill, he uh, collects stuff and he has a web show. Let's see if a video will start playing if I scroll down any further. Oh, so far so good. Oh, good. Oh, yay. Let's go. Will you be checking that out, Adam? Yeah, if I hear a little bit more about it. Is he he just talking about things he's acquired or the size of his collection or both? I don't know. We're going to have to watch it. It might have said more, but I got tired of the story. I remember there was this show on sci-fi a while back, and we covered it on the show. It was like six episodes where a therapist would help people with their collections. Like they collected too many Barbie dolls or too many Star Wars toys or Hot Wheels. They go in and they would talk to the family about how their obsession was ruining their home and taking up all the space, and could they please sell part of it and low, you know, make it smaller? And the person would really be difficult, and they'd be resistant at first, but then finally see that okay, I think I can part with some of this stuff. Um, I think Mark Hamill needs one of those therapists. What do you think? Well, it brought to mind, uh, and I heard this through Kevin Smith's modcast uh, podcast, uh, like many years ago, like early on in the podcast run where he talked about how Mark Hamill's idea of having any bonuses for like the first star Wars movie or anything past what he was originally paid was that he made a deal with Lucas to say, look, you're going to have merchandising stuff on this, uh, with what was it like Mattel or Kenner Kenner? Yeah. And he, he, yeah, he was able to secure a deal through Lucas suppose uh reportedly that he just wanted just one of everything of whatever they made and wow. he supposedly got them all in storage somewhere where you got mint unopened boxes of holy crap uh mint condition toys of whatever they've made of Star Wars toys from that point onward so wow. he's <laughs> he's he's got this to fall back on in case it all goes to shit which apparently it's not <laughs> so but well, here's a news story, Adam. It's about Star okay. Wars. We all love Star Wars. Yeah. You know, speak. Oh, I should have segued better. Hey, speaking of Luke Skywalker, Adam, here's another Star Wars story. <laughs> Do you like the way I did that? Well done. Good job. Good job. Episode guys. eight hasn't even come out. A trailer hasn't come out. We haven't seen anything about this film. But Colin Trevorrow is already talking about Episode nine. Star Wars Episode Nine is going to feel bigger, look sharper than The Force Awakens. That's right. Unlike Star Wars The Force Awakens and Ryan Johnson's upcoming eighth installment in the franchise, director Colin Trevorrow will shoot the ninth Star Wars film on 65mm film. Kodak announced that Trevorrow made the decision to forego the industry standard 35mm, choosing to follow directors like Christopher Nolan and Quentin Tarantino by upgrading to 65mm. Six, films that are shot on 65mm or 70mm films, like Inception and The Hateful Eight, present an IMAX level of quality and resolution. 
Essentially, because it's a high-resolution format, the film looks crisper when played through a projection and on larger screens. Yeah, I think we can figure that out. While Abrams decided not to use it for The Force Awakens, opting instead for a traditional 35mm, the grainier details that appear in the film won't exist in Episode 9. Instead, by using 65mm... Okay, we get the 60... We get it! Stop! Steve Overman, chief marketing officer and president of Kodak's consumer and film division, said that as more directors take advantage of what technology is offering, better and high quality film. You know what I love about this? Just forget about the 65 millimeter, 35 millimeter. The fact that as soon as George Lucas turned control over and he purported digital, 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 they were like, no, we're going to film these on film. <laughs> you know, they just went right back to film. Isn't that funny? Like he, George Lucas pushes HD, HD cameras, shoot it digital. It's the new thing. And they're like, no, we're going to use Kodak film. I just think that's funny. But I do think it's exciting to film it in the scope, but I wonder why they didn't do all three films that way. Uh, Probably just do the time or schedule or money. Those are the usual. I <laughs> Those are the that- usual factors. Yeah, that the cameras are gigantic or something. I don't know, but I'm sure. Well, I mean, in terms of something like, you know, Hateful Late, where you only have, there's only a certain number of theaters that have projectors that can actually uh, properly display that. And it's hard to do that when you're in a country where it's mostly all digital projectors now. So uh, maybe 35 millimeter is easy to convert into like a digital format versus 70 70 millimeters i'm just guessing here the next film in the star wars franchise rogue one a star wars story the first standalone anthology movie director gareth edwards decided to step away from film altogether however and shot the film on the alexa 65 large 6k digital camera Audiences should expect an ultra widescreen film when it rele- it's released on December 16th, which, by the way, is today is November 16th, Adam. You know what that means? 30 days until another Star Wars film will be in theaters and we'll be able to watch it. Yay. Awesome. So actually, Rogue One is shot digitally. I did not know that. How cool is that? You learned something. I didn't today. know that either. And finally, Adam, I have a story submitted by one Adam Sexton. (laughs) And it's all about this scene from the original, wonderful NBC Saturday morning series, Saved by the Bell, in which Jesse Spano is addicted to caffeine pills. Let's check this out. Pills? You mean you really are taking drugs? I need them. Jesse, give me those. I need them back. I have to... Jesse, you can't sing tonight. Yes, I can. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Oh, my God. (laughs) Truly Truly hard-hitting stuff there. But this story comes out on Vulture, and it's pretty crazy. There's plenty to remember about Saved by the Bell, the Hawaiian Vacation, the Snow White play, the wrestling uniforms, but one moment that truly stands above the rest, so much so that we chose its episode, Jesse's song, as number one on our Saved by the Bell ranking. <laughs> okay. Jesse Spano's overdose on caffeine pills and the rendition of I'm So Excited that followed. But as we learn, 
in I Was Saved by the Bell, Stories of Life, Love, and Dreams that Do Come True out today. Oh, I got to read this book. (laughs) Jesse's substance abuse was intended to be much more troubling. In the book excerpt below, Saved by the Bell executive producer Peter Engel describes how the scene was created and why exactly Jesse J- Jesse almost said Jesse James Jesse would have such a strong reaction to a drug as innocent as caffeine pills. Many things happened in our second season of Bell. Zach and Kelly went to prom together and became an item. Slater and Jesse developed feelings for each other. ROTC came to Bayside and the gang took driver's ed. Zach learned about his Native American heritage. Oh my God. <laughs> Screech was crowned Miss Bayside. The girls became models. Wow, it's a great season. But there's another episode most fans remember well, and that's called Jesse's Song. That's one where Jesse gets hooked on caffeine pills. Oh, wow, well, couldn't I have just skip that whole paragraph? Today, when I meet fans of the show, Jesse's Song is almost always the episode that comes up first. It made a big imp- impression on them, but it's sometimes laughed about. No. As a lot of people mm-hmm. look back and say, wait a minute, caffeine pills? Really? And to be sure, when you watch the scene where Zach discovers Jesse's addiction and intervenes, a lot of people today will say, as Dustin Diamond did years later, that Jesse was acting more like a heroin addict than someone on no-dose. What fans don't know is that when I originally wrote the episode with Tom Tenowich, Jesse was hooked on speed, not caffeine pills. Oh my god. But standards and practices the and the censor department of NBC vetoed it, saying speed was too serious for Saturday mornings. I insisted that we needed to start dealing with more important issues than we had in the past, and that speed was a vehicle not only for exploring drug use, but also the pressures that kids put on themselves to achieve. But standards and practices wasn't budging. What if she gets hooked on caffeine pills? Someone I don't remember suggested. Uh, they talked it over and told us caffeine pills would be would get a green light. <laughs> so we compromised. Wow, isn't that funny? So it's a great story, isn't it? Yes. She was going to be addicted to speed, but... Wow. I, I mean, we're, we're not even remotely surprised that they made that change, but... <laughs> Kind of makes kind of makes a difference. It's hilarious. I love it. Yeah, but, but you, you, uh, and speaking of the the subplot, the, the the episode where Zach found he had Native American heritage, you 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 did recall the the outrage over <laughs> the recent outrage over that. No, tell me. Uh, for for some reason, this got kicked up uh, on social media sites, and you know there are certain things. Uh, it, it's like one of those things which have existed in in like pop culture for years and years, but now thanks to you know uh, self made detectives on social media, someone digs this up and kicks up a whole storm about it, and then people like Mark, Mark Paul Glosser has to apologize for for how badly handled that one subplot was. So, uh, but yeah, that, that was making some of the news rounds. Uh, I want to say two or three weeks ago, I think it was reported in entertainment weekly where Gosler was quoted as having to 
having to apologize for something he did like freaking two decades ago. Something that it wasn't really something he, he was just the actor. He was just reading off of a script. He didn't specifically create it. But here he is two decades now, and now he has to make amends for it. It's just one of those bullshit stories where someone tried to kick up a a dumbass storm about Lawrence Arabia having no women, having no female characters. And I really you're you really think you needed to report this supposed injustice all these decades later? (laughs) Idiots. That's bizarre and stupid. That's funny. Now, but Adam, yeah, I'm, I'll need to read that book when it comes out, the Saved by the Bell book. That's got to be some fascinating stuff. That sounds hilarious. Now, Adam, that's my final news story. Uh, I would like to know, at this point, what did you think of the film Doctor Strange, huh? I loved it. I think it may be my favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe origin story. I think Scott Derrickson just knocked it right out of the park. But uh, but yeah, I loved it. I and and I went in not knowing hardly anything about the character, just as I did with Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, and uh, and it worked just as a it, it worked on its own terms as a fantasy, as a kind of modern day fantasy tale, rather than having any ties to the Marvel universe. It, it stands al- alone. And uh, even though it leaves some very interesting uh, ties to upcoming films, especially in the end credits. But, uh, yeah, I loved it from from start to finish, from top to bottom. I think they they really scored out on this. It's as good as people are saying it is. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it had cool visuals, of course. It also had great humor. Uh, of course, Bennett, Benedict Cumberbatch is fantastic, and I thought the directing was great. I wasn't real familiar with Scott Derrickson or whether he'd be good or bad, or I didn't have any preconceived notions. And I thought uh, it came off really well, and, and I I had a good time. And uh, yeah, I, I previous to the movie's release, uh, I decided to uh, rent some of Scott Derrickson's previous stuff. Cause, I mean, he's basically he's more known for his horror stuff like Sinister, Deliver Us from Evil, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I think oh, he wow. did. All uh, he I've also never did watched. the remake <laughs> of uh, Day of the Earth to Still with uh, Keanu Reeves. So he's he he's not a newbie to this kind of stuff. And his horror films, all of which are good, all of which I would recommend seeking out, have this intellectual bend to them. If you and I know that you listen to Movie Crypt like I do, but they have done an episode with Derrickson in the past, right around the time that he was entering pre-prep for Doctor Strange. And it's one of their best episodes. If you want to get an idea of what this guy is and how his approach to directing and how really smart he is, uh, I would highly recommend uh, listening to that episode recently, okay. they also did an episode with C. Robert Cargill, who is one of the screenwriters of Doctor Strange, and that those are both interesting companion pieces. But yeah, D- Derrickson, is, I, I, I'm really pulling for this to for for him to to uh, give get more op- uh, job opportunities for him because he really is a a director like one of the best well-kept secrets as far as I'm concerned as a Hollywood director. Yeah. I, I want to see the film again. It's like I watched it. I enjoyed it. And then time has passed. And I was like, God, I gotta, I gotta watch Dr. Strange again. It's one of those films that needs to be seen more than once. 
And by the way, there's a, a, lots of other films I want to see too, but uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to watch it again. I still haven't seen Hacksaw Ridge, and I really want to see that. I haven't seen Arrival yet, and I really want to see that. True. I got to get out there and see some movies, man. Exactly. But uh, Doctor Strange is a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. One side note is that, uh, you know, I saw it with Heather and my daughter, and we had a great time, top row center, like always. We had a row of millennials to the left of us, literally one seat away from me. They could not stop talking during the film. Luckily, the film gets pretty loud a lot of times where uh, you can't hear them. It drowned it out. But whenever there's quiet scenes, you could hear them kind of giggling and whispering and stuff. Oh, God, it was so annoying. At one point, I had my jacket next to me in the chair next to me, kind of like as a buffer. The guy spills popcorn all over that seat onto my jacket. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. Not only this. Okay. When the movie's over, we all know Marvel film. You're supposed to stay till the end. Not that I gave a shit what the dipshits did. They all got up and left before the end credits, which is fine. I wanted them to leave. But at the (laughs) end of the movie, when the lights come up and we're getting, we're leaving, you look over all of their drinks, popcorn wrappers. They all left them just sitting there. Just like, I don't know about you, but I always pick up my trash and throw it away. But all these assholes, yeah. they leave all of their crap there. Like, oh, they got somebody to do it. What an ass! What a bunch of assholes. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, those people sucked. I thought this was leading up to a moment where Heather just kicked their seat or just berated them for being assholes. I, she will do that. And I told her, I go, <laughs> I said, if you cause a scene, it'll ruin the movie experience for me. Please don't. Because at one point she goes, will you tell them to shut up? And I go, no, I'm not going to tell them that. (laughs) Hey, guys, shut up. It would just be, like, uncomfortable the rest of the film, and I want to have a good time, you know? Yeah. But definitely see that. I watched a film on Amazon called... I'm trying to remember the film. (laughs) It's called The Kings of Summer. Have you heard of this film? I have not. The Kings of Summer, it's about these guys that are in school, mainly one character, and then he brings his friends along, who uh, hates his life. He doesn't get along with his dad ever since he lost his mom, and uh, he's in the woods one night with his friend. They're walking through the woods when they're trying to get away from this kegger where uh, some landowner started shooting up in the air at the kids, scaring them. They all ran away. They found like they find like this place in the middle of the woods that's just gorgeous, and he's like, "Oh my god!" He like he found his quiet place to come, and he decides he wants to build a house there and live there away from the world. And he talks his two friends into helping him because his other friend has these overprotective parents that annoy the shit out of him. So they build this house in the woods without having any kind of experience doing it, and. It's funny, they even go to a house that's being built, and they're, like, studying the way they put roofs and stuff, walls together, and it's just about them living in the woods, and their parents have no idea where they are, the police are looking for them, but they're hiding in the woods and having the time of their life. It's a really funny movie, it's very entertaining, and it's got a lot of actors in it that you've probably heard of, 
Um, What's the name of it again? The Kings of Summer. Kings of Summer. It's uh, it's start. You know, it's got Nick Offerman in it, Megan Mullally, who's his wife in real life. It's got Allison mm-hmm. Brie in it. It's got Mary Lynn Rice Cub. It's got uh, two of the guys from Silicon Valley in it, in small parts. Um, but the main character who plays his name is Joe. He was the teenager in Jurassic World. Okay. And I'm pretty sure he probably got the part in Jurassic World after they saw this film. But it's it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting movie. I'd say check it out. Okay. Now give I'll, me a film you've seen recently, Adam. Recently, uh, I mean, I've been looking at my Twitter timeline. A lot of people saw Arrival last weekend. I I did not. And what what I was kept reading was the sense that they went to it, and it, based on how reportedly emotionally powerful it is, it felt like a it felt like some kind of therapy. Like like as we were speaking before at the beginning of this episode, how much needed a certain movies can a certain movies can can uh, calm us down or, or or heal us or point us to us give us a lesson about uh, humanity that we desperately needed uh, provide some kind of catharsis of some sorts and I found that in a different uh, in a different film an older film and a favorite film of mine. Uh, and it's and I I went on Cinemax on demand through my co- uh, through my cable provider, and I queued up Martin Scorsese's Bringing Out the Dead, and this was the 1999 movie he made with uh, Nicolas Cage as a paramedic in right. New York City during the early 90s. Have you seen this? No, uh, b- unbelievably, I have never seen that one. It's one of my favorite Scorsese films. Like I would really? definitely, if I made like a ten top ten Scorsese list, which is considerable, uh, considering his output and how consistently good he is, that's how good it is for me. And it's it's a movie that you know it, it's written by Paul Schrader, who also did Taxi Driver, and there are certain stylistic similarities between the two. But where Taxi Driver is concerned with a man who just wants to burn the whole city down bringing out the dead is about a guy who is actually really good who was once really good at his job but he's failed to save some people and now the war he's taking the work home with him in his mind he's he keeps hallucinating about this one girl that he failed to save and now she's haunting him he can't get a good night's sleep but he still keeps going to work hoping that eventually it'll turn around for him or hopefully that he'll get fired or he'll reach that breaking point where he'll quit. And it's, it's just a tale about just, you know, great compassion about, you know, your fellow man and uh, just trying to do the best you can in a very stressful environment. And it's got, it's take, it takes dramatic liberties with probably the reality of it, but I found it very compelling. It's got, like one of these great ensemble casts with uh, Ving Rhames and John Goodman and Patricia Arquette and Tom Sizemore back before he got freaking crazy and stuff. Yeah. But uh, I, I I absolutely adore that movie. So uh, if you've got Cinemax, if you've got like uh, um, them on demand, depending on your cable provider, I highly recommend you check this one out. Cool. Okay. 
Yeah. It's, uh, I've always wanted to watch it. I remember uh, there was one point in um, my 20s where I had a couple of Scorsese books. I was reading all about him, and I was trying to watch all of his movies. You know, I'd watch, like, M- Mean Streets or Boxcar Bertha. And for some reason, mm-hmm. I have not seen that film. And I need it, to- Yeah, it 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 came out in the year of 1999, like I said before, which is one of the great years of movies where it just seems like all these directors were putting out these wonderful personal works at the end of the, you know, the 20th century. Yeah. And I think it got buried underneath the, some of the other high profile stuff like American beauty or Magnolia. I mean, it, it, it had, it had, I mean, that was the year of three Kings and like I said, Magnolia and being John Malkovich and the insider oh, yeah. and, uh, the matrix and on and on. Uh, it, and it just yeah, got lost right. in it the shuffle. Buried. And that's the thing. Like even that, I remember the late nineties going to the movies, like every freaking weekend too, you know, just like all the time. I think Heather and I, when we first met, all we did was go to the movies, like there were sometimes we went to see two movies a day, like a Saturday or something nice. or a Sunday or something like that. We would go watch one movie. And then when it was over, we go to another one. I still remember we saw a double feature by paying for two movies. You know, we didn't see it in the same theater. We saw the matchmaker with uh, Janine Garofalo. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. And then we saw kiss the girls a couple hours later Oh wow! I I couldn't imagine doing that now. I'd be so like sleepy watching two movies in a row. I, <laughs> What's the record you've set yourself for most movies seen in one day? That would have to be when I was a kid, when my mom mm-hmm. would drop us off at the theater and we'd literally stay all day and watch the same movie. I think I saw Flash Gordon probably four times in one day. Oh my god. I uh I set this one record for myself in the in the like mid aughts uh and I'll never be able to do it again because it's so freaking insane where I saw four movies in one day. Wow. Um I went I went uh yeah this was like the year I went it was the year it was the same year all this came out so I went to one theater and watched Ratatouille and then went to another screening room and watched I think it was the fifth Harry Potter film. Drove to another town because those same these other movies weren't showing at the same theater, and watched No Country for Old Men. Wow! And then watched There Will Be Blood. Holy shit! I can't imagine yeah. seeing not four films, but look those two in one evening, because yeah. like uh, you know, uh, No Country for Old Men is kind of thing where you need to go on a walk afterwards and just think about things. But you went right into There Will Be Blood after that. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that I I was uh I was like it was like being a sponge during those during those times where I, I, I was able to let it sink in all afterwards, but but yeah, I was like, Well, I gotta get to the other screening room because I won't be able to make it because uh you know, that's the last time it's gonna be shown tonight. So yeah, I'll never be able to do anything like that ever again. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so cool though. I remember yeah. I remember there was this kind of fire in me for film 
when I was younger, just like, God, I loved watching movies all the time. Like I, when I listen to that podcast now with Drew McWeeny, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 80s all over that he does with, yeah. uh, what's the other guy's name? Scott Weinberg. With Scott Weinberg. They talk about films for every month in the 80s. And uh, Drew McWeeny talked about how he just has always had this ability to absorb things. Like he can read the, read all sorts of stuff, watch all these movies, and then he can't believe how much he sucked in in a small amount of time. I feel like I used to be able to do that, and I don't do it anymore. Do you know what I mean? I, I do, because uh, my job sucks up so much time, so much energy. And, uh, that just, that's just me getting older, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. The day after the, you know, what took place last week, I watched Wayne's world and the Sasquatch gang. And that helped. That was like therapeutic for me. I don't know if you've ever seen the Sasquatch gang, but it's no, I have no idea what that is. Oh my God. I love that film so much on Amazon prime. Watch this film called the Sasquatch gang. It's starring Justin Long and some other people. Uh, it's got, uh, what's his name? The guy who played Uncle Rico in <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. It's one of my favorite movies. It literally is the kind of movie that I laugh every time I watch it. It's just like Napoleon Dynamite, where I've seen Napoleon Dynamite, I don't know how many times, but every time I watch it, it still makes me laugh. And I know there's some people that absolutely hate Napoleon Dynamite. They're like, oh, God, it's the worst movie ever. It's like, just whoever, just certain people get Napoleon Dynamite and some certain people don't, I guess. I get it. And the Sasquatch Gang is the same thing. I love it so much. And, uh, of course, Wayne's World, you know, it's Wayne's World. But (laughs) Yeah, it's Wayne's World. Adam, thank you so much (laughs) for joining me for a special, you know, Wednesday episode of ETL News. Thank you so much for having me, sir. I really, really needed this after the long work night I just had. So thank you for that. Nice. Thank you. I love talking about all this stuff, the subject matter. And, um, I, you're also, I want to say you are a patron of the show and I thank you for that. You're welcome, sir. Keep, keep putting out content. And, uh, as, uh, Swiley has mentioned on Facebook, we're holding you to that Ghostbusters two movie mini. (laughs) So no pressure, but we're we're looking forward to it. Ken really wants that Ghostbusters two. And then he revealed to me that he thinks it's better than the first one. And I'm automatically, I was like, no, no, no. I want you to do a Ghostbusters show and tell me (laughs) why you think that who cares what I think. I want to know why you think that, but, uh, I just wanted to say uh, to all my patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show. I want to actually thank all the patrons right now. Xavier, Ken Preventure, Ross Pony, Ronald Spoth, a new patron. Thank you so much for being a patron. Adam Sexton. Yay. Stephen Wiley, otherwise known as Swiley. Um, I'm going to always mention her. Jennifer Morris, she passed away, but she will always be a patron of the show. Steve Steinbach, Rick Lidster. John Waltz, Jenny, Carl, Slade Bailey, Brandon, who told me he was so sorry he couldn't make the show, but he uh, was stuck at work in a meeting. Kelly, B. Sly, Mark Anderson, Darren Finlan, Bill Lochner, Mike Metcalf, Jason Swinchok, Brian, Sean Uioka, 
Nathaniel Lewis, Adam Howard, and Hodor. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. I hope I get some more patrons too, because uh, let's keep this thing going, you know? And another thing I wanted to say is there will be more dead ahead. I, I've just been bogged down by crap and haven't been able to do it. You know, when Heather was out of town for a week, then it's like just me and my daughter, and I got to make sure everything gets done, the ironing, etc. You know, <laughs> but uh, I hopefully everything will get back to normal. But actually, I will also be busy working on a different project. When I started working on Dead Ahead, I I love this idea of you know. Uh, doing audiobooks just the idea of doing my own audiobook was fun and i kind of looked into it and there was something amazon does called the audio creation exchange where you can uh put an example of your work up there and self-publishing authors who publish through amazon if they want an audio version of their book that they've self-published they could look there and find a uh someone to to read it so i was like oh this is cool so i added my information up there and left a chapter of uh dead ahead as an example and sure enough someone got uh, in touch with me wanting to me to read their book and i was like oh shit i didn't think this would happen like uh i honestly didn't think anyone would get in touch with me i thought i would have to audition for things or something but the person said yeah i listened to your sample and i really like it can you read this and i was like Sure, you know, not thinking about the work that would be involved. So, right now, I am working on a teen romance novel (laughs) about a girl who falls in love with a werewolf boy at her school. So, I'll just that's all I'm saying, but it's going to take up a lot of my time to get this finished. But it is, I'm doing it for the experience. There's no, basically the way that they pay you, uh, there's different kind of pay structures. But the first one, when you have no experience, is you get half of the profits from the sales, which I'm not sure what that'll be, but I'm not doing it for the money. (laughs) I'm doing it for the experience. So it's going to be fun working on that and also a big pain in the ass lot of editing etc but that's going to take up a lot of my time from now through december uh so if my production slows down a little you guys will know why but i will keep doing etl news episodes i'm just saying dead ahead may slow down until like january just because i'll be working on this other stuff you know so that's the reason why guys but if you guys are enjoying the show remember you can go to etlandfill.com for all the episodes of the show you can follow me on Twitter, follow Bill and Steven on Twitter. You can uh, find links to us on Facebook, etc. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Adam, thank you for joining me. And uh, what are you guys waiting for? Get out there and watch some new movies. Come on. We didn't even talk about it. A Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is coming out. Not really. I mean, it's not my thing, but uh, awesome. You know, go watch some new TV shows. Uh... Read a book, play some video games, and I'll see you next time! Check you later, Adam! Check you later. Hey, cheer up. If plan A didn't work, the alphabet has 25 more letters, so turn that frown upside down. Remember, life is too short to be serious all of the time, so if you can't laugh at yourself...
Call me and I'll laugh at you. Now this is podcasting.